Blog Talk Radio. Conversation over the Fight Network. Our normal guests are on the line. A little bit different location this week than normal. Roy Cummings is in Tampa, where he always is, checking on the Rays and, of course, the Bucks and the Lightning, if anything's happening in the National Hockey League at the moment. 
Roger Hendler, who is normally stationed in Atlanta, Georgia, is at Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia, where the Phillies right now are trailing uh, the Marlins by a single run, one nothing in the bottom of the second inning. And, of course, our producer, director, and the man of all trades, Frank Carroll, is behind the, behind the controls. And, Frank, I know you got a dedication at the top, and we'll start right there. Well, Don, actually, I have two dedications. One is to uh, all of you guys that have really uh, hung in there with me <clears throat> over this eight, last 18 years. Uh, next week, we start our 18th year with a 500th show. So I want to congratulate each and every one of you, Roy, especially uh, down here keeping us on, on top of everything. Don, uh, you always are always been great. Roger, um, Mike, and uh, Doug, we've, uh, we've had a, a good run. Of course, we missed our good friend uh, Tommy but, uh, and Bobby. But, uh, tonight's show, normally I start the show uh, with a downer, and sometimes choking trying to get through it without the loss of a, of a law enforcement officer or a firefighter. Tonight's a joyous night for us. Tonight the show is dedicated to a man who spent most of his adult life in the service of others in his community. I graduated the former Gulfstar State College, which is now Rowan University. He's the voice of many sports organizations in the Delaware Valley area. <clears throat> He's a man true to his faith, true to his faithful life, and his sweetheart has uh, given is a servant to everybody in, in the Delaware Valley area, giving his time freely whenever asked. Tonight we congratulate Mr. Dan Baker on his 50th year anniversary as broadcast uh, PA announcer the Philadelphia Phillies. That's a feat that not many will ever, ever cross. Don? No, you're exactly right, Frank. He is down a class by himself. Bob Shepard with the uh, New York Yankees for such a long period of time, and he's right there at that 50-year mark at all before he passed away and retired. And uh, Dan Baker, uh, just circling that, Saturday night they had a monumental night for Dan at Citizens Bank Park. Went very, very well, and I know Roger will ship it with that because Roger is at Citizens Bank Park, and he uh, he drove Dan over to the ballpark tonight for the game between Miami and the Philadelphia Phillies. So we'll talk about Dan, and uh, also, but we'll get the uh, get the show underway with Roy Cummings and uh, in Tampa, Florida. Roy, uh, first of all, there's so many things to talk about, but just briefly, even though the football season has started. It's going to start from an exhibition standpoint, at least I call it an exhibition standpoint, tomorrow night. How do the Bucks stand, and uh, what's it look like down there in Tampa, Florida for Tom and the rest of the club? Yeah, they're, uh, they're actually a little concerned uh, as they head into uh, the beginning of their uh, exhibition season. I agree with you. They are exhibitions. Uh, uh, some injuries are really starting to mount there. Uh, Mike Evans still not back from uh, yet another hamstring issue. It's, he's got a, a bit of a chronic hamstring uh, issue, always has. seems like every year he's got to take time out at some point, uh, either during the preseason or the regular season, to often bolt. Uh, just to nurse a hamstring injury of some kind. He's there now on the sideline. Uh, and uh, the, the bigger news today, though, was um, with a one center already down, uh, Ryan Jensen, the Bucks uh, watched as uh, Robert Hazy, their, uh, their their backup center, and uh, one of the early, early round draft picks from a year ago, 
Roy, let me interrupt you for just a moment, because we have some type of screaming going on. Can you guys hear it, or is it just me? Yeah, oh, I can hear it all right. I can, I can barely hear yeah. anything. Uh, yeah, uh, some, that, something, uh, sure something on the line or, or something, because it's uh, just overpowering. Yeah, it's part. Uh, okay, Roy, go ahead. There you go. Yeah, again, the, uh, the the concern in Tampa really has to do at the center position more than anything right now. They've, they've lost Ryan Jensen, their starting center, and now today Robert Hainsey, the, uh, the backup center, uh, the likely starter for this season, uh, probably well into the season, uh, if not all of it, uh, kid out of Notre Dame, uh, hurt today. He had to be taken off the field on a cart, uh, not the way you always see him in the back. He did uh, go off in the front seat of the cart, but still, he wasn't able to walk off. And, he, and you know what? There's kind of a unwritten code among offensive linemen that if if you can uh, walk off the field when you're hurt, you walk off the field. If you can't, you uh, you know you got to take the cart. So we haven't got full uh, report just yet on on the situation there. But if they're down to a third string center already uh, here, and they haven't even played their first exhibition game, you got to think that uh, they're already in a bit of dire straits. So uh, we'll see how it goes. But um, right now, injuries are a concern. I don't think we're going to see much of Tom Brady uh, under center in this first game. Maybe a series, maybe. I'm not even sure he needs that, to be honest with you. But uh, we'll see where it goes from here. But right now, injuries are a bit of a concern for Tampa. And, again, haven't even played the first exhibition game. Well, uh, Roy, thank you very much for that report. We'll come back in just a second to football, maybe. But uh, a lot of baseball going on right now. And, Roger who normally is Atlanta with the champion Atlanta Braves, who are struggling just a little bit at the moment. And he's at Citizen Bank Park right now where the Phillies are down one nothing in the top of the third inning. Roger, what do you got? Yeah, I just wanted to follow up, uh, uh, you know, both of uh, all three of you about uh, Dan Baker. Uh, They did a uh, survey, which is uh, really amazing because of his 50 years and it was calculated, and uh, I forget who did it, but it's somebody you and I know, Don. And uh, believe it or not, he has mentioned 20% of the all-time Major League Baseball players' names. 20% of all uh, Major League Baseball players' names of all time. That's an amazing feat. And I guess, uh, Roy, a guy you're familiar with, Pat Piper, I think he had, what, 54 years, because I think that's what Dan mentioned, that uh, that would be his next step was Pat Piper. Yeah, and what a great stat that is, Roger. Uh, That that kind of puts in perspective, uh, you know, the kind of career that uh, that Dan Baker has had there in Philadelphia as the public address announcer. Uh, And 20% of all players in Major League, that's really something. I mean, Think about it. That's uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of players uh, names he's mentioned. That's that's really quite a feat, and uh, I love that statistic. I think it's great. Yeah, I grew up with Pat Piper, and uh, you know, in Chicago, listening to him, that was the voice that. Um, and and you know, those voices become as much a part of the uh, experience of going to a game in some cities uh, as anything. You know, to hear that voice, you hear it on TV sometimes or over the radio, and then when you go to the game, you hear it. Uh, it, it's uh, it's all part of the experience, and I know that's part of the experience in uh, Philadelphia. And boy, I, I'm rooting for Dan to make it all the way to to, to pass Pat Piper. I, I think uh, Pat Piper was such a, a kind gentleman. I think he would uh, appreciate someone uh, passing him on that list. That's for sure. 
Well, Roy, you had some great years in Chicago before you moved down to Tampa and saw your long career in the world of sports in Tampa, but uh, the Chicago Cubs are going in the wrong direction right now. But, Roger, uh, right now the Phillies have turned the corner, it appears, after four dismal years in a row. And uh, it appears right now that uh, we're going to talk later on in the program with Larry Bowen and Greg Lezinski and uh, a little bit about the uh, 50th reunion or not fifty, but the reunion of the 1980 championship team. Uh, but you're right in the heart of it right now. You moved in from Atlanta to be at the ballpark tonight, so you're going to see the Phillies in pretty good shape. Well, you know, you guys uh, made fun of me when I said I thought the Phillies might win 90 games. And as things stand now, I think they have a good chance to win 90 games. Do you agree? Well, I'll give you my opinion. I, I, they've, they've looked great. since They won two out of three from the Braves in a very tough series, which was a very big win for them. And, they all, and it was in Atlanta, as you well know, right. because you were there. Yeah. But yeah. since then, they've played AAA teams. I mean, you know, Miami so. Miami and Washington. Washington, I'm not even sure they're a AAA team. <laughs> and, and they've, you know, they've done a terrific job. I don't want to minimize what they've done. They have played, they've won six in a row. They've won nine of the last ten. Uh, they're right on the heels of trying to move up against the Braves and the New York Mets, although the Mets have now won 15 out of 17. Uh, they're 10 and 2. They won 10 to 2 this afternoon. 13 base hits. I think the Phillies may be catching them at the right time because the Phillies, will get, the Mets have been getting so many hits a game, and the Phillies' starting pitching is pretty solid. So I think the uh, the, the Phillies may be going into City, city Field uh, with the Mets going to have to slow down a little bit on, the, on their offense. They've just been unbelievable the last three weeks. Oh, yeah. Well, they, that's going to be the telling tale this weekend, as we said, and I'm sure, Roy, you agree with that. Yeah, I do. And, and Roger, I, I'll tell you this. I didn't laugh when you suggested they could win 90 games. I, I believe that they were uh, on the cusp of being that good. The, the only issue is uh, 90 games may not get you into the wild card, unfortunately, uh, the way some of the teams uh, in the National League are playing right now, the way the Dodgers are going, obviously the Mets, a couple of the teams ahead of them. But um, they got a shot, and, and Roger, you have to admit, the guy who's been carrying, carrying them lately is none other than uh, the catcher that you, you, you have uh, often uh, I knew you were going to say that, and you're right. <laughs> I agree. Exactly right. You are exactly right. I'm going to eat humble crow, okay? <laughs> yes, well, he's hitting 400 over his last, uh, I think, 20 games. Uh, he's homered in three straight. Uh, he's got six homers over the last uh, a week or so. Um, JT Real Muto is uh, kind of carrying this team offensively right now, but and, and it's good that he's coming alive. You're, you're right. I mean, he certainly struggled, and uh, he probably cost this team a couple of games, but now he's, he's winning games for him, and, and I'll say this. I think the Phillies are a great team to watch uh, for the last two months just because of what they did at the trade deadline. You love, I love bringing in Noah Syndergaard, who seems to have found his old form again. Uh, I love that. He's on the mound tonight, pitching very well. I like what they've done in the bullpen. Um, you know, they're going for it here, despite the fact that they've, uh, you know, they're arguably their best player, Bryce Harper, is, uh, is still hurt. So I love what they're doing. And uh, if a couple other guys can get hot and they can start playing just a little bit better defensively, I mean, that's, that's kind of the issue. Fundamentally and defensively, this team has always been kind of just 
adequate at best. Um, it's really the area where where they seem to struggle the most is just in the basics sometimes, the fundamentals and, and defense. And uh, if they can shore that up a little bit, uh, they've got a chance to surprise some people. And, yes, get into that wild card. And, hey, you win one wild card game and all of a sudden uh, you get a little momentum. Uh, stranger things can happen. So uh, good for them. And I'm, I'm rooting for them. And I'm, uh, I'm excited to watch how it goes down the stretch for them. Roger, I know that you uh, had an opportunity to get a text from our good friend Tom LeMaine, who covers all the, fl- the Philly games as well as the Flyers. And uh, he brought a point out, which uh, you and I chatted about a few days ago. It's an entire minor league organization that's now playing the infield for the Philadelphia Phillies. And the interesting, most interesting part of that is that Hall, who was hitting fourth, hit fourth in the minor leagues. And when he came up, they put him in the number four hole, and that's where he's heading right now, Roger. I know, and he's done a really good job, Don. And, and he's like 26 years old. And I'll tell you, that one of the things that Rob Thompson has done is the bullpen has really stabilized, and the as you know, and that's been the key because in the last few years, uh, they were not good at all. He has given everybody their uh, job to do. And uh, he has played the kids, and the kids are producing. And I'll tell you, uh, Al Morgani, uh, and you may have heard it this morning on the uh, WIP morning show, said that he wonders if Yankee fans now uh, are thinking that maybe they would have won more without Joe Joe Girardi being the manager and somebody else back in that period (laughs) of time. So. You know how it is in sports. You're up today and down tomorrow. Yeah, I, I don't believe that. I still believe Joe Girardi is a good manager. I think he'll manage again. Uh, but going back to uh, the, the, the thing for the Phillies, I think they got the gem of the trade deadline p- player. I think Roberts is a, is a relief pitcher. That He was great in New York. He was good in Chicago. Every place he's gone, not only that, he's a high-character guy. And to me, yeah, he, he would have been the first guy that I would have tried to make a move for in the bullpen. I thought, sure, Cashman was not going to let him slide by, but he did. And the Phillies, yeah. I think, got themselves a gem. Well, you know, I don't know whether you read in Roy, whether you saw it or not, but he was hoping to come back to the Phillies. And he said that because, you know, he was hurt the two years he was with the Phillies. And he had Tommy John surgery and you know, he had gotten a good contract and uh, never really had a chance to produce. So uh, what does he do? He comes back, and right away he's producing. And I agree totally with you about that, Don. It's a great move. Yeah, that was part of the narrative in Chicago when, you know, everybody knew that he was picked up primarily to be a, a trade piece at the end of the year, uh, or at the trade deadline, rather. And, um, yeah, he definitely wanted to go back to Philadelphia because he felt like he he didn't uh, play up to his contract there. And, you know, that's, again, Don, you said it. You're speaking to the character of the man there who wants to play up to his contract. He failed to do that for reasons uh, beyond his control, really, in uh, Philadelphia, and he wants to come back and be a part of things here. You know, and while Don and I, I don't disagree necessarily that that, uh, that was really one of the bigger pickups, the one I'm most excited about for, for the Phillies is, is Brandon Marsh. The numbers don't look special right now, but this is a five-tool player. This is a guy who can uh, probably hit 20 homers, steal 20 bases. Uh, he can hit for average, hasn't done it much this year. Uh, but I think Brandon Marsh is a guy that's uh, going forward 
uh, Phillies fans are going to love and come to really appreciate uh, because he's got some ability skills that they've been looking for in Philadelphia in that outfield. He, he's going to finish. He'll fill up center field for you and do it at, a, at what should be a, a, a very high level. Uh, this is a guy who uh, was well thought of uh, as a minor league uh, prospect uh, before he came to the Angels and uh, uh, over the last year or so. And uh, a lot of people very surprised the Angels uh, let him get away. I think Brandon Marsh is the guy that, uh, uh, again, it's not happening this year right now, but it could still happen for him here in Philadelphia. Uh, this is a guy who, who you can watch going forward. He's got some skills. Whoever we have on, whoever's on there again, they were off for a few minutes, but now they're screaming again. Whoever that is. But anyway, uh, going back, uh, you talked about it right at the top of the show, and that was the uh, uh, St. Louis Cardinals, and the Cardinals have gotten themselves red hot. What a great three-game series they had against the New York Yankees at Bush Memorial Stadium. I was fortunate enough to be able to see every all three of those games, and uh, the St. Louis Cardinals are red hot right now, and. Uh, they're going to be in the picture before it's all over. Intermission. Yeah, they yeah, are going that's... to be in the picture, and nobody should be surprised. And you know what? Helping them, helping them get into get into the picture and stay in the picture is what happened in Milwaukee. I, I, again, I, I know we touched on it a little bit last week, and you guys probably talked about it a little bit more after I was off. But I, I still can I still don't understand how Milwaukee allowed uh, Josh Hader to, to to get away when they're fighting for a, a division title. Uh, against the St. Louis Cardinals, who are obviously making moves to get better. Um, you know, it's it just uh, – my mind is still boggled by that. I, I just don't get it. It's almost like the team is capitulating uh, at a time when uh, they could easily be, uh, be be taking the lead in their division, and it makes you wonder what, uh, what the game plan is in uh, Milwaukee. You know, other teams, Phillies may be one of them, uh, could end up struggling as a result. They, you know, could fail to make the playoffs because of that. Because other teams have done some very strange things, and that's one of them. Roger. Well, the uh, it's, it, it, I agree with Matt Marsh, by the way, uh, Roy, because uh, what he's really done is stabilize the defense in the outfield, and I think that's going to be very important uh, for the Phillies uh, in the future, and and even this year, obviously. So that. You know, I agree with you on uh, Brendan March. I just moved because I guess the music is uh, causing a problem. But when you're in the ballpark, it's pretty difficult to go anywhere without hearing all the uh, sound. <laughs> well, the other the other thing is we could touch on just for a couple of moments is the American League East because the New York Yankees, who were unbeatable for the first half of the season right up until the All-Star game, have now going into real doldrums. It also again to say it's Seattle four to three. Uh they they just can't do anything uh correctly. Uh there were two games last night. I don't know whether you fellows were able to stay up late enough to watch them. The Braves and the Red Sox are a terrific game if you're a if you're a, a fan that likes to sit on the sidelines and watch some runs scored and, and some big hits and some big plays and a great game at Fenway Park last night uh, between the Braves and the Red Sox. But the game of the night, and I'm sure you two guys did that because I turned it off at about quarter to three in the morning. <laughs> the Yankees the Yankees in Seattle played last night in Seattle. They won 23 innings with nothing but zeros on the board. Nothing. <laughs> and you won 33 innings. The longest, longest game since they, since they initiated the ghost 
it's the longest game uh, played uh, without, a, without it being cut short because of the ghost runner. The other interesting was it's the first time that there were two innings back-to-back by the Yankees who were up, who only had two batters bat in the 11th and the 12th inning. The ghosts uh, were doubled off back-to-back innings, so they only had two they only had two batters bat in the 11th, and they had two batters bat in the 12th uh, because of players that were either double off second base or picked off. So I mean, one, of, uh, one of the most unbelievable games I've ever seen. But you had to stay up. It was over five hours. It didn't start till 10:14. So I, I don't know whether you felt stay up that late. <laughs> no, no, no. Try, but uh, but didn't make it either uh, all the way to the end. But yeah, you're right. I mean, an instant classic. It's uh, <laughs> it's going to go down. I mean, some people are saying it's the best game of the year so far. Uh, just uh, not a lot of hits. Obviously, a pitcher's duel between. Uh, between Luis Castillo and uh, for the for the uh, uh, Mariners, who was picked up at the trade deadline, and uh, Garrett Cole, who uh, I think they combined to strike out more than 20 batters and uh, uh, just not a lot of hits. And uh, finally, uh, Luis Torrens, a guy who is probably on his way out in in, uh, in, in Seattle uh, at the catcher position, came up with the big hit, so maybe he saved himself a roster spot. Uh, but yeah, it was a, a tremendous game and. <laughs> You're right. The, suddenly the Yankees are have fallen on a bit of a hard times, and uh, you know what? So San Diego. Ever since the All Star break, San Diego goes and goes on with Juan Soto and a couple other pieces. And uh, next thing you know, they they still can't beat the Dodgers. And uh, they they did finally get uh, get a game in uh, uh, the other night, but uh, they're struggling a little bit too. And now they've got uh, now they got San Francisco uh, napping at their heels. So. Interesting how both teams uh, have suddenly fallen out a bit of hard time. Roy, it's going to be a lot of fun going down to the wire. Thank you very much for the first half hour. As always, look forward to next week, and uh, there will be more baseball to talk about, and we'll also have a chance to talk a little bit about the uh, first exhibition games in the National Football League. Thank you very much. Hey, Roy, right, I just want to say guys. one thing before you go about the injuries in the NFL. There's been a lot of talk. Dave Campbell's running the old-fashioned uh, camp, and the Eagles are running the new type of camp. Okay, a lot of not no nowhere, no, not very much hitting and everything. The Eagles have far more injuries than Detroit has. So there you go. Well, <laughs> yeah. let's get Billy on because that's what we're going to talk game. about. Are the Philadelphia Eagles? Nobody knows them better than Billy Werndell, one of the outstanding sports. Uh, broadcasters in the city of Philadelphia, a longtime friend of all of us. Uh, Billy's been on the air and radio, television. He's done it all, and he's covered the Eagles for so many years. And, Billy, I don't know if you have that chance to get to camp. You're doing your show every day. Uh, Give us an update thumbnail sketch. Where do the Eagles stand in your view? Well, uh, they're going to play their starters in the first uh, few series in the opener against the Jets on Friday night. So that's, I'd like to see that. But I, I agree with uh, what everybody said about training camp. Today they've limit, limited the amount of hitting in training camp, and I think it's really, really bad because you have to toughen up a, a player for the regular season. The regular season doesn't get underway until the fifth game of the regular season because the first four games, in my opinion, and many other people's opinion, are the exhibition games because, again, it's such a different, different game today because they're so concerned about 
an injury here, an injury there. Look, I understand about safety and about protecting their players. But when you have injuries, when the starting center for the Tampa Bay Bucks is out for the year, and that was even a non-contact injury. So you see it across the landscape of the NFL. They're being overprotective with these players. They're not getting them ready for the regular season, and I think they're going down a very, very bad road. Billy, I was just going to ask you my top question, and that would be they went into the last year with a real question mark at quarterback. They thought they had it resolved. They think they're in good shape this year at quarterback. But this young man hasn't really proven what he has to prove yet, has he? Jalen Hurts, no, not yet. I mean, now they've surrounded Hurts with all kind of weapons. A.J. Brown in a draft day trade, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, Quez Watkins, uh, very good running backs, an excellent offensive line. It's certainly it's, it's on his shoulder to carry this team. I mean, uh, you know, again, uh, he has to play within himself, not try to do too much. But I, I'm still a big, big believer if you run the ball, that opens up everything for the passing game. And I hope they just don't come out firing, firing, firing. Because I think the best way to, to skin a cat, so to speak, is to run the ball, and that opens it up for the passing game. Bill, I agree with you 100%. And uh, Roger is not in Atlanta tonight. Uh, he, he's at uh, Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia watching Miami and the Phillies. But, Roger, jump on. Yeah, well, I agree with uh, you guys about that. Uh, the run, run, run. And uh, what was it? Uh, Sirianni finally started running, Bill, last year, and they started winning, right? After they Absolutely. were, uh, what, one and four, one and five, right? Yep. And then they got out of the gate slow, and then they decided, hey, we got an excellent offensive line in front of this kid, Jalen Hurts. Let's utilize it. So I, I really believe that if they want to be successful, I'm not saying you don't throw the ball. I'm saying have a balanced attack. You know, right. 30 rushes, 30 passes. And that, that's, that's a perfect scenario right there. But I, I just hope that they don't decide to just start throwing the ball all over the lot. And the other thing is this, the late Sid Gilman, a great offensive line, and Al Davis used to say, you got to go up on top early and give notice to that safety that we're going to throw the ball downfield. And I think if you do that, even if it's incomplete, that makes the safety aware that he can't come up and support the run that quickly. Billy Wardell, our guest, and Billy, uh, one of the great sportscasters in Philadelphia for such a long period of time. And, Billy, uh, before we jump around and see what the National Football East is going to do in your view, you were in Canton, Ohio, a good friend of uh, – the coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, who finally got in after a long time, and you and I chatted about it the other day. Bill Berge's been on his side. Howard Carmichael's been on his side. Peterson's been on. Everybody's been trying to get Dick Vermeil in the Hall of Fame. He finally was voted in. You were there. What was it like? It was an unbelievable affair. I'm glad I took the trip out to Canton yeah, just to see the smile on the coach's face after, oh, so many years of not making it, knocking on the door, knocking on the door, and finally kicking the door down. I mean, Dick Vermeil, you talk about one class act, not only as a coach, but as a human being. He's one of the most wonderful people you ever want to meet. 
And look what he did with the Philadelphia Eagles. No draft picks, no high draft picks, no free agencies, 19 undrafted free agents, and he took them to the Super Bowl in 1980. <laughs> that speaks volumes to me that that is coaching. It's easy to coach when you have top players, top draft pick, but he had to start from the bottom of the barrel, and he really got this demon running. Then he takes 14 years off, had to adjust to the new NFL, takes the Rams to the Super Bowl and wins it. And, of course, he did a very, very fine job uh, with the Kansas City Chiefs and Lamar Hunt. And he said in his speech that was the one disappointment he couldn't get to the Super Bowl with the Kansas City Chiefs. I think the other thing he, he touched on, Billy, that I thought was interesting. He talked on, first of all, when he out of UCLA and then flying in and getting the job with Leonard Tosin and the Philadelphia Eagles and winning that game out there, and, and, you know, in the Rose Bowl, how important that was. And then his decision to start Kurt Warner coming out of Canadian Football League and he was going to carry him on. Nobody, nobody believed it. He took him to the championship. And then, of course, he talked about going to Kansas City and what's happened there. So uh, he gave all the credit in the world, as he said. i got to give the credit to the players. The players are the ones that got me here. Absolutely. And Dick Vermeil gets every ounce of energy out of every player that plays for Dick Vermeil. And that's so important. People respond to his teaching as a coach. And Dick Vermeil has really left his mark on the National Football League. You know what's inter- you know what's interesting uh, uh, talking about uh, him with the Rams and winning the Super Bowl. Ironically, I was at his summer camp in St. Louis that year, and then I was at the Super Bowl, and I got to ask him the question at, at, at camp was, "Is this a really good team that you're really excited about?" And he was very excited. And then at the Super Bowl, I asked him. Did they achieve a lot more than you anticipated? And he said, I knew they were good, but I didn't know how good. And he is just a class act in every way. And, you know, Don and I talked about this over the weekend, Bill. Wasn't his, He mentioned Sal Palantonio. Is he one of the voters uh, that's on the committee uh, yeah, for the whole thing? Yeah, one of the voters. Also, Ray Dittinger. You got to give Paul Domowitz a lot of credit. There were a number of people. Carl Peterson uh, really did a heck of a job convincing the committee of this guy. Gary Myers, the great longtime writer from New York, uh, was another guy that was a real strong proponent of Dick Vermeil. So he had a lot of people in his corner. Well, right, give sir. me now a thumbnail sketch of uh, the National Football League East. Where do the Eagles stand? Are they as big a question mark as they were last year? Are they in a better position? Or what is the East all about? I think the Eagles can win 11 games this year, maybe even 12. If the quarterback progresses like people think he will, the Eagles probably have the best roster top to bottom on paper. You don't win on paper, though. They should be a viable force in the NFC. And you look around the NFC, yes, the Rams are defending Super Bowl champs. The 49ers are a good team. But I, I see the Eagles as one of the elite teams in the NFL if they don't get hit with a lot of injuries because they have all the weapons. They address the defense. Now, Hassan Reddick, uh, the, the, the rush defensive end from Temple, 
Jordan Davis, the massive defensive tackle from Georgia. So, and James Bradbury, the other corner opposite Darius Slay. So, I think the Eagles can win 11 to 12 games if everything goes right as far as the injury is concerned. Injuries are the big factor in the national, like any sport, in every sport, injuries play a big, big role. Roger? You know, hey, Bill, I know uh, your buddy Angelo Cassati predicts that they will lose to Detroit. I know you will be his manager in his dating service after he retires. <laughs> At the mm-hmm. end of the year. I thought that was one of the all-timers about the dating service. But, you know, what do you think about that opening game? Could they get uh, stocked a little well, bit? Uh, that, because... that, that, that's an ambush game, to be honest with you. You're going to yeah. Detroit, who've been the last stock of the NFL, never been to the Super Bowl. The last time they won a championship was in prehistoric times back in the 50s. So, I mean, you look at this franchise, they're going to have a chip on their shoulder at Ford Field when the season opens. So, it's going to be very, very important uh, for the for the uh, the, Phil- uh, the Eagles to come out firing with all eight cylinders or eleven cylinders because they got a really a daunting task on the road. Yeah, I agree. Now, Bill, I was going to ask you about that. How do you evaluate the schedule? The front half, well, you know, more yeah, difficult. I, I, the middle more the difficult, or the last part more difficult. Last year was more difficult because I think they have the second easiest schedule in the NFL right now. So I, I really believe uh, that they can make hay. I mean, you start out with Detroit. You should win that game. And then you have Minnesota on Monday night, the home opener. Then you play the Washington team. We don't know what Carson Wentz is going to be like. And then you finish up the first four games with Jacksonville. So Jacksonville will be improved under Doug Peterson, but I think they could be easily 4-0 out of the gate. Uh, but again, you, you don't play the schedule on paper. You play it on the field of play. Billy, one other thing. They honored the uh, Philadelphia Phillies of 1980 over the weekend. Uh, we chatted and talked about dedicated the show tonight to Dan Baker. What a tremendous career he's had as a PA announcer in Philadelphia Phillies for over 50 years, working tonight's game as well at Citizens Bank Park. And uh, it was great, uh, a great tribute to uh, uh, to the players, and uh, I think the Philly organization went out of their way to try to give the fans of Philadelphia something a little bit different and honor that 1980 team without getting into some of the negatives. Well, the negative really overshadowed all the positives. And yeah, but we're guy, let's talk about. about the positives. You and I talked about the negatives the other day. Let's talk right. about the positive things. It was a great to see all those guys back. It was wonderful that they honored Dan Baker 50 years behind the mic. I mean, you know, Ron Reed was one of my favorite. Fake McBride, Arnold Fake McBride, a guy who was a key component for that team to go to the World Series. I mean, what a uh, terrific guy, guys too. Back. What a terrific guy. He couldn't be there, but what a great guy. Like, yeah. But, you know, you, you, you just look at the that Phillies team, 
Uh, Manny Trio, Pete Rose, Larry Boa, Mike Schmidt, Greg Lazinski, and Lonnie Smith in the outfield. I mean, you had uh, a set, uh, center field, Gary Maddox. You had an excellent, excellent team. Great, great catcher in Bob Boone, one of the most durable guys in baseball. And, uh, of course, Steve Carlton, Dick Ruthven, Larry Christensen, Warren Brewster, uh, Marty Bystrom. I mean, that team was special, very special indeed. And they, they made hay when they needed to, when they beat Montreal up there in Montreal and went on to the World Series and beat the Kansas City Royals. And yeah, that uh, league, league championship series against the Astros was probably maybe the greatest in baseball history. I, I would not dispute that, Rogers. That was a great, great playoff series. I mean, key hits, and, and they, they didn't beat some Humpty Dumpty. They beat Nolan Ryan. Correct. Right? Correct. That, that, that was the key. They beat Nolan Ryan. They found the way. To beat, in Houston. In Houston, which is a yeah. tall, tall order. And remember, the Astrodome was a very, very tough place to, uh, to hit because it was like playing – in a coal mine. It was very dark and dingy in that ballpark, but the Phillies uh, didn't let that bother them, and they really took it to the Astros and went on to the World Series. Billy, how do you view the top of the National League East right now? Because uh, the New York Mets, uh, the Braves closed in on them, got it down to, uh, what, a game or a half game, and all of a sudden the Mets have just gone crazy, winning 15 out of 17. And the Phillies are coming into town this weekend for three uh, against the Mets in New York. Well, here's the deal, Don. When you look at the Mets, when you get – they were holding water until DeGrom and Scherzer came back. Now, that's a really a daunting task. Every two days you're going to see those two pitchers, and they have a very solid rotation as it is. But when you have pitchers of that ilk – very, very difficult, and I think the the Mets are going to be a tough out as far as they're not going to lose the division. They're going to be a tough out in the playoffs because when you have DeGrom and Scherzer, either of those DeGrom will go six, maybe seven innings at the most, that is a very, very tough test, even for the great Dodgers. Yeah, DeGrom came out and struck out 12 and six innings in his third appearance, uh, winning on Sunday, and uh, you're right. What a one-two combination. And really, when you look at this thing, when it's all over in baseball, you've got to have pitching. You've got to have pitching. And the other thing you have to have is you have to have a closer that you could go to in the ninth inning and know that he can close the game. Those three items you've got to have or you can't win. And also, you've got to play good defense. Absolutely. You don't play good defense. Amen. You could have Amen. the greatest Amen offense in the world, but you have to play defense in baseball. You have to prevent a long innings, you know, crooked numbers on the scoreboard. If you have that great defense behind you, that means an awful lot. And the defense is so important because they make plays and make it easier for the pitcher. Roger? Oh, absolutely uh, true about that. And uh, if if you don't have it, you're, you're not going to make it, I can tell you that. you got to have that D, pitching and defense. And uh, what's pitching? Uh, sometimes 90% of the game, right, Bill? 
Well, Connie Mack, Connie Mack once said it was 80% of the grain, but maybe today it's 90%. But, you know, the other thing is when you're playing in a series in the playoffs, you've got to be able to manufacture runs, and that's so yep. important. You can't strike out 14, 15 times in a playoff game. You've got to be able to manufacture runs because you're, you have three starting pitchers in a seven-game series, and your bullpen is loaded. So you've got to be able to manufacture runs, steal bases, hit and run, a squeeze bump here and there. That's the way you play winning baseball in the postseason. Small ball. Billy, that's been the, that's been the secret of uh, the New York Mets in, in 2022. They hit the all fields. They spread the ball around. They do have home run capability with Alonzo. They've got a, you know a couple of players that are going to hit a few home runs for him. Even Lindor, I think he's got like 19 or 20, right? I'm not sure the exact number for Lindor, but he's right in that area, and he's, he's just set a record for shortstops for runs batted in in today's game uh, that they won handily 10 to two, and uh, so they're going to be they're going to be a tough item, but. The one thing that you and I have talked about for such a long time and really came to fruition last night, we talked about it just before you came on the air, 23 consecutive scoreless innings. And that's what the ghost runner in every one of the innings after the night between the Yankees and, and, Venice, and uh, uh, Seattle. Seattle. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times they had runners on third base, how many times they had the bases loaded with no outs, one out, these guys can't make contact with the with the baseball. They can't move a runner in from third base to win a game. God, it's a sad commentary that these people from MIT and Dartmouth and Harvard have infiltrated sports. They're all about numbers, all about this, all about that. Look, French Ricky once hired a statistician many, many years ago, uh, I, I, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but Alan Roth, and he was a statistician oh, yeah, I back then. Him. Yeah, Alan yep. Roth was a stat guy, but he didn't rely totally on statistics. He relied on looking at a guy, evaluating a guy, and going from that. And I, I just think the game of baseball today, I don't recognize it at times because in all sports, I'm not going to just get not nail baseball. Football is the same way. Basketball is the same way. Hockey is not really bought into that analytics hook, line, and sinker. They still use it. But I think it's, it's really, really terrible when you have to have these geeks come down and give a lineup card uh, to the, the manager or they tell the head coach this is what you got to do in certain situations and basketball the same way. I think it really, really is terrible. It's almost, at times, sporting events have become unwatchable. Really, last question for me, and that would be this. Uh, the Phillies have a good starting rotation. I say good, I don't say great. Is it good enough to take them, if they are fortunate enough to get the wild card, is it good enough to take them into the next level up and keep going? I think they could win a, uh, a round in the playoffs. I really believe that. But the Dodgers are going to be tough. The Mets are going to be tough. Whoever they draw in that second round is not going to be a walk in the park. So, I mean, yeah, I'm hoping that they can get to the World Series. 
never know. And but I, I just think that uh, they just don't have enough right now. I hope they prove me wrong because it's been a great, great year for the uh, the Phillies as far as turning the, the corner after a shaky start. But I, I just think that you know maybe they're one year away from really being a viable, viable contender for a World Series. Roger, well, if you wind it up. Well, the three of us uh, and the four of us, including Frank, we all agree about how important the uh, uh, farm system is. And I look at all these, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, prospects and when they're supposed to be here, and the majority are obviously are pitchers. And what do you think, Bill? Do you think they're pretty well set uh, in the next couple of years to add some uh, brand-new young arms? That will really have right success. Right now, Roger, it looks like the the curve is moving up. But again, there's still prospects, and I always consider prospects suspects until they can yep. do it on the big league level. That's Billy, the thank key. you very much once I again. Agree, As Bill. always, Larry Bow is standing by at Citizens Bank Park right now, and we'll get a little bit of a view because we talk about this minor league system. And uh, first of all, welcome in, Larry Bow. How are you? Thanks, Bill. I'm doing good. How you How you doing, Don? I'm doing good. Thanks, Everything is great. Uh, let me first of all congratulate you and the organization uh, because you worked in so many different fa- facets of the Philadelphia Phillies. But uh, what a tremendous uh, Sunday! Uh, nice to see the '80 team back, and uh, what what great games they were during the course of the playoffs. We talked a little bit about the one in. Uh, and the Astrodome, which of that series maybe never duplicated again. But uh, give us a thumbnail picture of how this team has turned themselves around so effectively, uh, Larry, in the last five weeks. Oh, I think the biggest thing, obviously, you know, we've had Nolan Wheeler pitching outstanding all year. Uh, Suarez is starting to pitch the way we thought he was. But our bullpen is really turning it around. I think when you get a good bullpen in our defense, has improved a lot. I'm not saying they're all gold glovers, but they're making plays you're supposed to make. Uh, you know, if you make the routine plays and don't give other teams 32, 33 outs, then I think uh, I think then you're going to win a lot of games. And let's face it, uh, our hitting has really improved, but I'm not going to get carried away yet. Uh, Washington, to me, it might be one of the that's a double-A, triple-A team right now. So That's what I, like I said at the direction. top of the show. That's exactly what they are. I don't even think they're a triple-A uh, team. No, no. I watched, I watched Washington, and uh, I've been in baseball a long time, and no disrespect to anybody in that organization, but that's not a very good team. I do will say this. The guys they got in that trade, I talked to some scouts, and they, got, they made a pretty good haul, but those guys are three, four years away, some of them. Roger Henry, you're in Citizens Bank Park with Larry Boa. Go ahead. Well, you know, I agree, uh, Larry, and, and I I also think that they really got uh, some uh, good acquisitions uh, in their moves. But you just have to wonder, what was it, four years ago they were the World Series champions, and just the way that team has been decimated and the way they've, uh, they've taken it down and now they're rebuilding uh, but obviously, right. I guess they did not have a very good farm system at the time they won the World Series, you know, and, and Harper had already left before they won that World Series. Yeah, but you take – I mean, okay, I, I'll give you Harper, but how about Trey Turner and Scherzer? So, I mean, and, and now Soto and Bell. Uh, it, it looks like – and I don't know this, 
but obviously it looks like they're going to sell, and uh, the new people coming in probably want le- less debt, and they're going to start from scratch, and I think that's where they are right now. And they're going to have some lean years here in the next two or three years, especially the way this division right now is set up with the Mets aren't going anywhere, Atlanta's not going anywhere, and we're starting to get to be in a situation where the arrow's pointing up for us. So, uh, you know, this, it could be a while for Washington to – recover from what what has happened there. Larry, I, I think the organization uh, did a great job of putting you all together on Sunday, and, and it must have been fun for you uh, that played with all these guys for so many years uh, to get back together again. And it was, hey, you're the only one that ran out on the field. They're not that old, are they? <laughs> yeah, so, we're, we're getting up there in age, but, uh, you know, the only guys that, that I, I'm, I'm – Really, I wanted to see was Keith Moreland, and he had a previous engagement. Lonnie Smith, I heard health-wise, is not doing well. And Bake McBride, from what I understand, he's got some bad knees going on. But it was fun to see guys that you'd never seen for, for a while. Uh, Kevin Sochet, I see Dickie a lot, Dickie Knowles, but uh, Warren Brewster, Ron Reed. Uh, you know, those guys were very instrumental. Uh, Greg Gross, Del Unser, in, in our success. You know, it wasn't just Schmitty and, and, uh, and Lefty and Pete and Bull, we, we had a lot of guys that, that did their roles and played unbelievable parts during that that, that drive. And, uh, you know, getting by Houston and every game was extra innings except the first one. And I think once we did that, we, we felt we were going to we gonna be in a good spot. But uh, it was good to see everybody. The Phillies, John Middleton did a tremendous job. And uh, it, it was just a great weekend. And we had a golf tournament on Monday. And uh, like I said, it, uh, they did a great job. You shot 72 on Monday? No, no, no. We had a scramble, but our team was like 700. But that wasn't even in the money, Don. You had to get like 1,400 to win. <laughs> Roger, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say the Phillies, whenever they do an event, uh, they, they do. They've always done it first class, Larry. I mean, as far as I can go back, and that's a long, long ways. And uh, but it was great to see them, and uh, because I was living in Atlanta back in '72, and uh, you probably remember, uh, you know, when Frank Lucchese was there, and there were I think three games rained out in that uh, in that series. Right. I mean, you, you were like you were. Just, I remember talking to Greg and Gene Lozinski because uh, they uh, you, there was nothing to do. It was at the old Marriott, and the GCs right. were having their national convention. So all the rental cars were taken. And, uh, yeah, we were. We, I remember that. I remember that. But you know what? We were still young then, and we could care less. We were in the big leagues. But uh, we were right. empty. We wanted to get out and play. Yeah. And, but that was the beginning. When you think about it, that's where it all started, was right about yep. that time. Yep. Larry, before that's I let question. you go, and I want to get back to the ball game, uh, just a thumbnail sketch because you've uh, been working in the minor league system, worked with Charlie, you travel around to all the parks, evaluating talent, talking to different people. How do you assess? Because now you've got an all minor league team that's come up and taken over the infield, and also Bomb, the, 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 the improvement that he has made, not only offensively, almost hitting 300, but now defensively, the second half of the season. Those two things, Bomb, uh, and, and how's your minor league system? What do you think? Well, I, I, I like what we're doing right now. Like you said, Bomb's doing good. Stop's really looking good. Uh, this kid's going to get better. Uh, Maton's going to be a good infielder. 
we got lightning in a bottle with Hall, Derek Hall swinging the bat. He's a big, strong kid. Uh, the two, the two big pluses that we have, barring injuries now, because I, I don't like to get excited real quick. But a guy named Painter and Abel, a pitcher, two pitchers that if they don't get hurt, I, I, you know, that's a big if. They're top of the rotation pitchers, and they're probably, uh, I'd say, a year and a half away. Which, you know, you put those two guys up there with uh, Weeder and Noah, uh, you, you got some pretty good arms, and. Uh, I just think that we finally got things going in the right direction, but we still have a long ways to go. I mean, we've, we've had a big break in the schedule lately of who we're playing. And, uh, you know, let's face it, like, like I said, Washington's not very good. Miami's got good arms, but their offense is not real good, uh, which shocked me a little bit. The Cubs came in here right after the break. and That might have been a good wake-up call for us because the Cubs are a team that's rebuilding also. But you know it's going to be a, you know what's going to be a good test is going to be this weekend. We're going to get Scherzer into Grom, uh, and uh, let's see how everything plays out there. Uh, the Mets, I'm not saying they're surprising me, but they're playing unbelievable right now. And I think the one are thing they ever, that stands out are they ever playing they unbelievable? They don't strike out. They put the ball in play. They make the plays, and they're you know you got Scherzer into Grom at the top. And Diaz is having an unbelievable year as closer. Do you see their game this afternoon? I didn't you see, see the Mets game, game this afternoon? No, I didn't. Okay. No. Did you see any but, of the but, uh, but Yankee, I, <laughs> the Yankee yeah, Marlins yeah. game, Larry? Yes, uh, Marlins. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. You know, you, you know what? Yeah, that was. People, yeah, I did. I saw the Yankee game. You know what? We people 20, think 24 innings of zeros. Oh, I know. But people think that we're playing Houston the last three games. That Houston's going to lay over because they got a big lead. Trust me, those last three games, they want the best record in baseball to right. get home field throughout the, the playoffs. So those aren't going to be given because you got to figure the Yankees are going to be involved in that. The Dodgers are going to be involved in that. So we we got our work cut out for us. But we do have a – there's no such thing as a soft schedule, Don, as you well know, but it's an easier schedule. Roger, I'll let you close it out. Let you two guys get back to the ball game. Go ahead, Roger. Yeah, well, I I agree. Uh, you know, Larry, about the uh, what, what the uh, Phillies are going to have to face if they even get through the first round. But it will be just an accomplishment to make it and give these uh, younger players a taste of what it's like to play uh, the uh, playoff baseball. And I I think that Mets Braves series was a perfect example of what playoff baseball is. There, there's no question. Yeah, you know, like I said, you hit around the head. You know, getting there is the number one goal, but we can't be satisfied just getting there. But we're going to have a lot of guys, if everything goes right and we get there, that they've never been in that kind of atmosphere before. It's different. We can sit here and talk all we want, and they say, oh, it's just another game. It's completely different, and it's going to be good to see how these guys react. Larry, as always, thank you so very, very much for spending so much okay, time guys. with us. And we'll get together okay. again. And, again, congratulations you on the 80 team. Congratulations on uh, your work All on right. television. Uh, you three guys did quite a job in the booth the other day. But uh, thank All you right. so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. All right, Don, you take care. Take, right. take care, Larry. Thanks, Larry. I'll tell you, great, great guy, a great guy. And, and uh, boy, great what a hard dose. What a what a hard nosed player he was. He was out there every day. You know, we talk about uh, injuries and uh, get you know people getting together, having an opportunity to uh, 
to play 154 games or 148 games or 160 games. And uh, I can tell you, you can almost count on one hand the years that Larry Bell didn't play 145, 150 games. You know, Don, one well, of the things sounds- that uh, they've always said about uh, Pete Rose was he was Charlie Hustle. There was no nobody hustled more on the field or made more uh, dynamic plays than Larry Boa. He hustled, he nope. ran, he didn't, he never, you know, hit the guy, he, ne- he was always an A person. No question. No question always about it. Always ran it out. And, and he also uh, developed into a really good hitter, too. You know, when oh, they, yeah. uh, they, they used to belittle him, and uh, he really, uh, that was the challenge, and he rose to the occasion. You know, the, the one thing I like to say for people listening to the show and uh, realize that we didn't uh, mention Pete Rose at all, really, in our conversation with Bill Wardell or with Larry Boa, and I had told them both that uh, I was not going to get into the altercations uh, with Pete over the weekend. Uh, all I can say is, uh, to add it very quickly in and out, is that uh, I'm sorry that he didn't get uh, better advice from uh, either his agent or his lawyer or somebody uh, just to come into the press conference and say, I'm sorry, uh, those matters have been discussed with our attorney. I can't discuss it, period, and have that be the end. But unfortunately, uh, he did not do that. And, uh, you know, a, a great a player as he is and an uh, interesting person to be with, uh, he just didn't have the intelligence to take care of the, the situation in the proper way, Roger. Well, that's right, and and you know him very well, Don. I have that picture of you and Elaine with him in Vegas. And, uh, you know, you would have thought that he would have just uh, had a little more uh, sense, so to speak, for lack of a better term, uh, but to make some of those comments. But I I really think that uh, he's uh, in some ways, you know, living in a different era mentally, and uh, what uh, went 50 years ago doesn't go today. And should absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a total change in the environment. Uh, you can't say things you said. And uh, I said this on a, a couple of other shows I did earlier this week. And uh, that was that uh, some of the language that uh, Pete used during the time that he was playing and at press conferences and things like that uh, were always just because he was at the top of the heap and everybody would laugh and thank God it's funny, you know, it's very funny. But now, uh, you know, he's just John Doe coming in as a former great baseball player, and you just can't say those things anymore. And, and uh, uh, he just obviously did not realize that in two, in two instances, one in the press conference and two when he was on the, uh, on the telecast with Larry Boa and with Tom and so forth. So uh, it's just a sad note for Pete himself because he just couldn't conduct himself well. Well, and that's exactly right. And, uh, you know, he, he not only embarrassed the Phillies, he really embarrassed himself. Right. And, uh, and I, th- I give credit to the Phillies for uh, uh, having him uh, back for that uh, reunion because a couple of years ago they uh, nullified the idea about uh, having him on the Wall of Fame. And uh, because of when that surfaced, you know, about his uh, uh, personal issues. So, uh, you know, but you got to move on. And uh, the uh, I always re- highly regarded him as a player. 
Uh, he was a, a, a fan of – I was a fan of his. And I think about that 1980 team. They never would have won the World Series without Pete Rose. No, and everybody uh, pretty much talked about uh, all day Sunday and uh, both on radio television. Uh, you don't win without Pete. Uh, there's no question about it. And it's just unfortunate that the circumstances uh, as they were in his life in so many different areas all went south. And uh, there's just no way I can see a major league team uh, inviting Pete back uh, to, a, to a major league ballpark. It, it didn't work the first time when Cincinnati tried to do it. And Gray, uh, you know, sort of embarrassed him on national TV. And uh, But this time he embarrassed himself. So, uh, I don't. Worry, I don't think we're going to ever see Pete in a in a ballpark again. And the plaque that you were mentioning, uh, that that's not going on the wall. <laughs> no, and you know, uh, Bill Warndell was the one that when he interviewed John Dow, that's when it surfaced about that young uh, lady. And right, Pete correct. Was, was with Bill Warndell. So, I mean, you know, we had Bill on earlier, but uh, he's been in a really uh, a, a, a so Im- important. Excuse me. In so many different uh, issues that have surfaced with his, you know, producing his shows and everything uh, over the years. So we got to give uh, Bill credit for uh, uh, finding out about that incident too. Now, before we change directions, uh, Frank, our leader, our director of operations, uh, are we going to have an opportunity to talk to Zimzak tonight or no? Yeah, Zimzak. I just sent him a. He was. Uh, I thought Larry would be a little longer. Uh, I just sent him a, a note to uh, come back on, so he's getting ready to come on in a few minutes. Okay, uh, we'll get uh, what we'll get uh, a little bit of the front row picture. He's in Washington D.C., well, Washington Baltimore area, and of course Doug Hamilton also in the Washington Baltimore area, and uh, so we'll have a chance to talk about the teams down there in the National League East and uh, the NFL East and so forth. Uh, Roger. Uh, throw one to you. What's going on? It's still two nothing in favor of uh, the Orleans. Miami leading, and they're in the sixth inning. Cindergard's uh, pitched a pretty good game. Yeah, he has. But the uh, the kid for uh, Miami special, and uh, he's got a one hitter going. I, I, that's, when I look, I'm looking at a, a TV monitor because I got away from the stands because of the noise. But uh, the, I, when I looked, he had a one hitter going and. They beat him when they were down in Miami, and that was a real accomplishment. But, uh, you know, as good as this kid is, you wonder whether uh, that can happen, uh, you know, twice uh, at, in a, uh, a relatively uh, close period of time or near period of time. I'll tell you, it, uh, in talking to Larry, and I, I couldn't agree more, I, I just think there's so many very – I mean, there's some very good teams. Let's face it, there's some very, very good teams. But, boy, there are a lot of bad teams. And uh, these two, you know, Miami and Washington, as Larry said, and I had to agree with 100%, I mean, you can't even call them a triple-A team. It's a combination of double-A AA and triple-A, and they are just dreadful. I mean, and, you know, that's that's why I say it. Great for the Phillies to make hay on these teams that can't play because if you have the opportunity to play a team like that, the one thing you have to do is you have to beat them. And that's uh, right. Roger, that's exactly what they did. They did that, and and that's what they need to do. And all the uh, good teams are, are will do that. And they have not done that in the past. 
Especially against Miami. Yeah, and they're going to find out this weekend because they play three Friday, Saturday, Sunday against the Mets. I think they have six games remaining against the Mets and maybe six still against the Braves. I'm not sure. Uh, The Braves are winning against. They play the Braves like the 22nd. Yeah, correct. And the Braves were leading three nothing last I saw. The Braves were leading. uh, uh, Atlanta was leading three nothing tonight against the Red Sox. So uh, maybe they're going to after they lost. Four straight to the New York Mets at, uh, to start this losing streak that they finally broke last night. Uh, at least maybe maybe the Atlanta's coming together again. Well, yeah, I don't think that uh, they uh, were ever broken. I just think the Mets are that good and they're on a run. And uh, just like the Braves were uh, earlier in the season, playing some pretty good teams. Uh, and, but you're right, the, the uh, caliber, of the quantity, quality – and quantity uh, are very limited in uh, Major League Baseball. Getting back to the NFL, Don, for a minute, uh, you know, the thing that concerns me is that in baseball, uh, it it usually takes uh, several years to build up. I mean, you can't build it up on just free agency. You've got to get prospects coming up because, you know, you don't want to go over the cap and all this stuff, even though, it's a uh, it's a uh, soft cap, so to speak. Right. But but I'll tell you, in the NFL, you can turn it around pretty quick. And I just am, I'm I'm wondering uh, with uh, some of the acquisitions that some of these teams that are predicted to be not very good will be somewhat good from as compared to last year. And that always worries me when they make prognostications based on last year without really taking into consideration what they have acquired either with free agency or free agency and and the draft. You know, things can change in the NFL much quicker than in baseball. Well, I agree with you 100%. I think especially, uh, we'll stay with the National Football League East for a moment, uh, the Dallas Cowboys were uh, very much the favorite to win it last year going into the playoffs. They didn't last worth a quarter. Uh, and their quarterback is really under a lot of heat this year. Prescott, is he going to be able to finally uh, get that team together and uh, put on a real drive and take them into the playoffs, not just into the first game, but take them well beyond the first game? And the other thing is, uh, you know, how, what's the competition within the division? Washington, we don't know anything about. We'll talk to Mike about that in a minute when he comes on from Washington. Uh, you know, where, where do they stand? Where, where, as Billy said, is the Eagle quarterback going to be as good as they're hoping he's going to be? Right. Nobody knows. Okay. And, uh, and, and we may not, like Bill said, we may not know until about the third or fourth game of the regular season, because now they have three preseasons, but the starters don't play and they don't want to get them hurt. So when, when do they start playing that first game of the year? And also, Roger, as you've seen too, they they've got a high hopes for Detroit this year. They uh, they figured Detroit, uh, you know, they lost a lot of games, very close games last year during the course of the season, and they think they've improved themselves quite a bit. And uh, so, playing against Detroit is not necessarily putting a a mark in the win column until you get there and play. Right, and you know who uh, the associate head coach is there. Deuce Staley. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know Eagle. that. 
okay, who uh, was with the Eagles until Sirianni, because it was like probably down to those two. And, of course, the uh, locals wanted Deuce because of his uh, time with the Eagles and they uh, thought that, you know, a minority factor and everything. And uh, so he didn't get the job. And the next thing you know, Deuce is, uh, you know, out in Detroit as an assistant. And the other thing is that uh, everybody's going to be looking, uh, you know, very, very closely, and we did over the last couple of years, the quarterback situation at Washington, a lot of talent, took the Eagles until he got hurt uh, on the way to the Super Bowl. Uh, give us an idea. What do you think, Roger? Is he going to be able to fit in now? He's had a lot of difficulty with players and coaches. Is he going to fit in down in Washington and actually play a whole season? Only time will tell, Don. You don't know with him. But the uh, Eagles don't win that or that uh, uh, Super Bowl without Carson Wentz for that first three quarters of the season. You there? Yeah, uh, Mike Finchuk can't come on tonight, so we're going to have to hold on here for a minute. Maybe uh, maybe uh, uh, Frank and I can talk for a couple of minutes. Maybe you can get Tom Lemaine on the line, and we can talk a little bit about, uh, you know, baseball yeah, or hockey. Mike uh, can't come on? No, that's well, right. He, Frank uh, just told me he can't, he can't okay. come on. Okay, yeah, let me, let me call PL. I'll be right back. Okay. Frank, we'll see if we can't supplement here and, and – uh, Get yeah. somebody else to, to to jump on the show with us and take Mike's spot. Uh, sure. We could uh, want to wait and talk about the hot for the golf until uh, Doug came on because uh, you know there's yeah. a lot of movement now. A lot of movement now with the LIV and uh, the Shark and the PGA and uh, I know you're a little bit into that golf front too, Frank and. It, it doesn't look very good right now because Smith. No, no Smith, who uh, we really was. We got Tom LeMaine on with us, Don and Frank. Okay, hey. Tommy, how are you, my boy? I'm fine, Don. Thank you. You were the one that well, uh, you were the one that texted Roger and talked about the, and we just talked to Larry Bow about it. We even, even used your name and said you were the one that called us to tell us the Phillies had it all minor league. Uh, Infield come up and take over the infield at the major league level. First time in a long time. That's uh, that's something that's rare with any team, I think, Don. I mean, they uh, to have uh, to have everybody uh, playing the infield during a game that has come up through your farm system. And, and the best part about that when it happened, Don, was that they all produced that night. They all had key hits and RBIs. And uh, that that speaks well for your future when you can do something like that. I uh, I, I found that amazing, I really did. Yeah, Don, uh, Tom, I agree with you, and I'm a big proponent, a big supporter of uh, Bryson Stott. I think he's going to be the shortstop. He stays uh, away from injuries for a long time, long, uh, uh, many years ahead. Well, that's true, and I'm glad they didn't give up on the third baseman. Uh, yes, Holmes. I mean, it looked like he was—he had a one-way ticket out of town there not too long ago. But uh, he not only has improved his—it's uh, obvious about his offense. He was the hottest hitter in the month of June, I think, in the major leagues. Uh, July, I should say. And then uh, you know he has picked up on his defense. And uh, the big rangy third baseman 
And, uh, you know, I really think you build uh, winning teams around a power-hitting third baseman. He may yeah. not be hitting for power now, but he's uh, certainly hitting for average. And, uh, uh, you know, it's uh, – it, yeah, and i got to give a lot of credit to Dave Dombrowski. Uh, he went out and got what the Phillies needed, positions that the Phillies needed to fill, but they didn't give away anybody on the farm. Right. And uh, they have two good, strong arms that were picked in the last two uh, drafts. Um, Apple is one. Of, and, I mean, I think the, the, uh, the, the future for the Phillies, based on their young players, is very bright. Yeah, well, they, well uh, the, the, the Phillies, everybody else sort of gave up on Baum a little bit at third base defensively, but he has really worked his way, not only offensively, he's almost hitting 300 right now. He's hit like 295, 297 coming into tonight. But uh, – and he hit almost 400 during the month of July. But uh, he has really, really improved his defense, Tom. And a guy who was lost in all this, uh, of that ilk, is uh, Mike Tom. You know, uh, he, he, he plays a pretty good second base, and he has some power. So yeah, well, you, throw and, them, and, you throw them in there with the elder statesman, Reese Hoskins, who becomes the elder statesman now, even though he's a young player himself. Uh, you've, you've got a pretty good, decent infield there and guys who are playing their natural positions. And, you know, I think what really – one of the uh, factors that turned uh, uh, Bohm around, Tom, was when he made that comment about he hated it there, but he came right out and faced the media, said he was wrong, it's not what he really felt, he was frustrated, and that's what the fans wanted to, to hear and see. You know, you know they stuck to it right away. That's that. You know the fans are. You know the Philadelphia fans are very perceptive, Roger. Um, if you go back and remember how they treated, uh, uh, you know, a lot of players who were down in the dumps. But if they knew they were hardworking players, they knew they were. You know, Pat Burrell is a great example of that. I mean, they, they, Pat Burrell <laughs> came very close to having a one-way ticket out of town because he was slumping. But they never. The fans never gave up on Pat Burrell because they knew about his personality and what kind of a guy he was and that he was a hard-working first guy on the field in spring training baseball player. And and that goes a long way to show you how perceptive Philadelphia fans are. Oh, yeah. Tom LeMaine, our special guest this half hour. Tom, of course, a long-time sportscaster in Philadelphia with almost uh, all of the teams, the 76ers, the Flyers, uh, NBC News for so many years. And, Tom, first of all, we uh, thank you very much for jumping on with us so quickly. And uh, you get to see a lot more of the Philly games. I mean, I see them on television. I don't see nearly as many games as you do, uh, or the Flyers or the Eagles, for that matter. Uh, you're lucky enough to be in a position now that you get to see them all. So let's jump back to the Eagles. We talked to Billy Wardell for about 15 minutes about the Eagles a little bit ago. Uh, what is your evaluation of the quarterback and uh, their sta- their chances going into the season? You know, I was uh, I played in a tournament tournament yesterday, and after uh, the tournament was over, we were having dinner. Hold on a second. I, don't, I, I, I couldn't yeah, hear any yeah, of that. Just, but anyway, Schwarber just hit a double off yeah, the left field wall. And it's now two to one. Yeah, he he uh, disappeared. 
Tom, yeah. go on. Roger. Yeah. We're on. Outside of Joe Namath and Kenny Stabler, how many, as successful a program, football program, as Alabama has been, how many Alabama quarterbacks have made it to the NFL? That's right. That's a good and, point. And the, the best example I can think of, A.J. McCarron, he was the starting quarterback for Alabama for three straight years and is the only college football quarterback to win two consecutive national championships. A.J. McCarron. And where is he? <laughs> so wow. I think in answer to your question, I don't, you know, I, I fall into the thinking of a uh, – what do you call a, a, a regular quarterback? Tall guy, can see over the defenses. Uh, of course, he has to be mobile and everything, but big guys usually aren't mobile. But, you know, hey, you consider Tom Brady a mobile quarterback? Was Peyton Manning a, a, a mobile quarterback? Uh, no, but they were big, rangy guys. And, uh, of course, you know, <laughs> obviously their career speaks for themselves. I really – I'm not as high – I'm not a scientist, and Jalen Hurts is everybody else. How many people are? Uh, I think he's, he is. Uh, I think he will be injury prone. Uh, I don't know how their backup quarterback. We've seen their second string quarterback play last year. Uh, I thought a guy that nobody gives any credit to is. <laughs> I was kidding, Coach Ramil a couple of months ago. I said, "Hey, Coach, the Eagles have a quarterback named Carson." And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, what's his name? I said, it's Carson Strong. And, of course, the big knock on him now, he's, I think he's third string. He's not a mobile quarterback. They said he can't move. Well, I'll tell you what. I, I would be very surprised if Jim and Hurts does not get injured at some point in this upcoming season. And that, if you're putting all your eggs in that basket, uh, you better be able to hatch some of them if he goes down. Tom, thank you very, very much for jumping in so quickly for us. We've got Doug Hamilton on the line right now, ready to make the next segment. But thank you so very wanna, much for I, jumping I, I, in. I just, I, I just want to congratulate Dick Vermeil once again on his name for the Hall of Fame. And I told him, I said, that, Coach, your football team was, uh, was the last team in 80-81 to complete the cycle. All four teams that year, and I was doing sports at Channel 3 at the time, all four teams played in the championship game. No question about it. I, I talked I talked to Dick yesterday, and <clears throat> he's got a wine tasting thing at, at Center City Philly to, tonight, so he couldn't be on the show with us. But I'm hoping he'll join us next week. Uh, but uh, what a great ceremony out there, Ken. It was really a terrific, terrific ceremony in the speeches. Uh, and I'm not big on speeches after uh, – you know, you're being uh, honored, but I'll tell you, some of the speeches out there, we'll talk about it in the next little bit, were really outstanding. But, Tom, thank you so much. We're going to go play a little golf now. Doug Hamilton is on the line. and uh, Doug, uh, it Thanks, looks Doug. to me like uh, the next step is that the most exciting young player on the PGA Tour is going to jump bail. Smith is going to go to the ILV. Yeah, there, that's the word on the street. Um you know, honestly, I haven't really been following a, a whole lot of, I mean, I kind of, you, you turn on the Golf Channel and that's all they're talking about. It, it kind of gets old after a while with, you know, the litigation and injunctions and restraining orders and all these different things. So I'm 
kind of not paying a whole lot of attention to it. Um, you know, I'm more saturated with, uh, you know, the, the Orioles being currently tied for the, the final wild card spot. And, you know, the first preseason game for the Ravens is tomorrow night. So uh, there's, to me, more significant stuff going on in Baltimore than than how that plays out, which is going to be a little while now anyway. So. Well, Rod, Rogers is in Citizens Bank Park. He's not in Atlanta this week. He's uh, covered the Philadelphia Phillies right now against Miami, and it's a two-to-one score. Phillies are down by one. Roger, go to it. Yeah, well, I, uh, I was looking. I thought that they did score, and uh, what is it, the top of the seventh now. So, uh, you know, they – Schwarber, they Schwarber doubled, the left, doubled the left center field to drive in the run. And that's what I thought because – I'm looking at the uh, screen, and then I went on the line, and it said it was still 2 nothing. So here I am, but I'm not in the stand. So uh, <laughs> I'm in, on a, a bench as you come into Citizens Bank Park that you, Mr. Henderson, have come through many times. <laughs> Go to it, Barter. Hey, Doug, <laughs> let me ask you this. What about yeah. those O's? Well, how about those O's, I? You know they're they're never really out of the game, and they're so exciting to watch. Um, you know, last last night they they put the tarp on, and it was five three, and you know things didn't look good, and somehow they stumbled back and uh, got a run, and then Odor hit a two run homer, and and then uh, that was about it. So you know it's exciting times here, I think, to uh, pay attention to to how they play and the. Um, just the vibe that they create amongst their team. And, and um, you know, it's really exciting to just watch watch them do their thing. And, uh, gosh, I don't imagine anybody would have thought start of the season that I, mean, I guess you were looking at probably close to 90 or another 100 lost season. So, um, you know, they, <laughs> I, I think it's funny that you listen to the media and the news outlets and they talk about, baseball and the Orioles and you know gosh what are the Orioles going to do if they actually win a wild card you know they don't they don't have an ace you know in a one in a one one game playoff you know gosh what are they going to do and I keep thinking what the hell does it matter they haven't had an ace all year and it's just (laughs) another game it's just another game I mean they whoever gets the baseball gets the baseball and and you know if you listen to to some of the energy that's on this team, I mean, half of them probably don't even know where they are and don't care. And, you know, the other half that does, I mean, it's, I don't know. It's, it's just really super fun to watch. Um, well, who would have believed they'd be 58 and 52 going into, uh, you know, the what eighth, eighth, ninth of August, uh, after the th- last three years that they've had where they, you know, we're losing a hundred games. I mean, it's unbelievable well, the turnaround and, that and was... the energy that they've gotten. If, How's if you the attendance at the uh, ballpark, Doug? Um, they've had sporadic, like uh, the the 30th year celebration when they brought back Eddie Murray and Brooks Robinson and Cena and a lot of those guys. I mean, they they packed it at about forty forty one thousand people. But I'd say most nights they're probably somewhere between fifteen and twenty thousand. So I mean, it's I, I think that the uh, the energy is spreading though. I, I think you know you're going to start seeing some. I mean, I had this conversation with my dad recently and I think that you know Gunnar Henderson was just recently voted the number one prospect in all of baseball who, who plays you know mostly infield for the Orioles but I think he's a third baseman to be honest with you but I think 
<clears throat> he can play shortstop. And, you know, they talked about, um, you know, Grayson Rodriguez. Uh, he was the number, I think, five overall prospect in baseball and had a lat strain that's starting to throw the baseball again. I think there's Kyle Stowers is down there, um, you know, hitting 17 to 20 home runs in AAA. And I, I think they have some help on the way. And I think once some of these rosters expand or even prior to, I think you're going to see a new level of excitement with some of these youngsters coming up and, and playing and adding some more, you know, youth and, and exuberance to that squad. I just, you know, I don't know. I just, <laughs> even the couple trades they made at the deadline. I mean, I think, you know, Mancini's played fairly well in Houston and, and uh, Lopez is, is, is a bona fide ace, you know, out of the bullpen. So, you know, those two things I think hurt, uh, but at the same time, I think they just, you know, have a de- enough depth that they can plug other people in there, and, and no one really cares. They just go out and play baseball, and they, they well, seemingly Mancini are never was really one of their most favorite players, though, right? Yeah, I mean, he's been a an Oriole for the length of his career. Um, meant a lot, and I think with comeback player of the year and some of the things he's gone through uh, personally, I think that you know, playing in the uh, All Star game, you know, doing very well in the in the, the home run hitting contest. I mean, it's you know, I think he was emotional, and I think a lot of the players probably were too from a, um, you know, leadership standpoint. But, you know, like I said, I mean, the, the guys just keep going out and playing well and, and getting wins. Um, you know, I think the, the over-under at the beginning of the season, if you were a betting man in Las Vegas, was like 63 wins for the Orioles, you know. So, I mean, that's, that, that, that kind of tells you what everybody thought of them to start the season. So, for me... You know, you listen to Major League Baseball Network and ESPN, and they're talking about the Orioles, and I, I keep thinking, you know, you guys can wash your mouth out with soap if you want because you didn't give those guys – you didn't give them a chance. So don't, 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 don't talk about them on the back end like all of a sudden they're your best friend, you know? Roger? So. Very true. Very true. You know, Johnny come lately fans. Right. Uh, right. You know, we see it in every, in every sport, so uh, – but I'm I'm happy. I I mean I used to see a lot of Oriole games uh, back in the uh, '70s and and the '80s, especially yeah. uh, being down there uh, at the NSA. But uh, and and it was it was fun. And I I was doing radio at you know at that time, and we did some shows from uh, Memorial Stadium, and then uh, from mm-hmm. uh, the um, you know at the new ballpark. And I'll tell you, Don and I talk about it often. When the Roger, Camden Yards is not that new anymore. <laughs> no, 30. I know, but yeah. and it was under construction when you and I were there wearing the hard axe. Mm-hmm. You got it. <laughs> well, you know, I, I've been to 33rd Street. Um, you know, I can vaguely remember, uh, you know, Dad taking me to games. Or I know I've been to at least one. I can't remember how many, he can tell me, but... You know, sports in Baltimore, at least when I was a kid, you know, my dad could tell you stories about, you know, how important the Colts were and how important the Orioles were and how successful the Orioles were back in the 60s and 70s and the Colts and all that stuff. So, you know, my hope is that this comes around full circle so that I can experience some of the same joy that he did, you know, as a Baltimore sports fan with the Ravens and the Orioles and, um, you know, share that with, you know, my family as well. So, um, well, Camden Yards is now the Ravens. Years old. What's the what's the quarterback situation at with the Ravens? What where are they have they did they set him to sign an extension of the contract or what did they do? No, I mean I, they're, they're 
I think they're drawing close to a to a number. Um, I think that the willingness of of Lamar to participate in those negotiations and um, you know my guess is that the Ravens uh, come you know training camp break will uh, part ways with certain players on our team and, and try to. I mean they've already kind of going backwards because they signed I think Justin Tucker to an extension and um, I think they restructured some of Marlon Humphrey's contract so it seems to me like they're moving forward to you know create some salary cap you know scenarios Not the, the latest rumor I heard was um, you know the Chicago Bears are looking to trade Rokon Smith and somehow the, the Ravens name has come up in that discussion Um so I don't know whether they're clearing salary cap money in an effort to, to make their team better this year and let it ride or, you know, if they're going to try to negotiate with Lamar and, and, and get this deal done. So, um, you know, you've seen Deshaun Watson. You've seen Kyler Murray. Um, a lot of these quarterbacks get paid. Uh, so, I mean, he's obviously the next one. So, you know, I don't, I don't know that we've gotten any closer, but, you know, it, it, it's He's his for, own agent, isn't he, Doug? Yeah, that's that's the point I was going to make. I think it's hard because if he had an agent, you'd probably be hearing more about it. Um, but the only the only things you hear about it are what comes out of his mouth, which are limited because of the training camp aspect. So, um, you know, we'll have to see how this plays out. But, you know, as it stands, he's going to make $23 million this year. Um, and hopefully they can come to the table and, and get the other deal done. So. Let me just say, first of all, whatever was just turned off has cleared the line finally. Right. <laughs> Roger, I don't think it's you at the ballpark. I don't know no. exactly what it is. But, uh, oh, man, we've had, some, we've had some override here tonight for some reason. <laughs> we'll see if we can't get that correctly before we go to next week. But anyway, yeah. uh, the uh, <clears throat> the Ravens, are you, are you optimistic? Uh, how does their schedule rack up? Where do they, where do they rank as far as schedule uh, difficulty is concerned? Well, I think it's it's going to be a, a good year for them in, in a sense of, I mean, obviously you're going to have to play a, a home and home against uh, your division rivals, uh, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, and Cleveland. Uh, those are always difficult battles, um, whether you're playing home or away, because of the black and blue nature of the division itself. Um, but because they finished um, fourth in their division last year, uh, they get to play the fourth place schedule. Um, what that means is. You know, you're going to see teams like the Jets and Giants on that schedule. And there's several other teams, I think, that aren't very good uh, that they get the opportunity to play. And I think that you're more apt to see the Ravens 8-3 and three start as opposed to, you know, how they finished, um, you know, 0-7. So, um, you know, obviously we can't look into that crystal ball and, and predict – injuries like they had last year uh, or different things that might crop up during the season. Uh, no one would have thought that, that COVID would have, you know, been something we would have talked about that, you know, potentially forced the team to, to lose a football game. But, but nonetheless, that obviously happened. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of factors we can't control. But of the schedule itself, um, I think it's in the, the Ravens' favor for sure. I think that, you know, I think Harbaugh is going to be a little bit more you know, mindful, if you will, of that injury situation with regard to how he deploys his team in, in, in uh, these preseason games. Um, I think that that's part and parcel to, 
you know, them signing guys like Mike Davis and Corey Clement and, you know, kind of veteran well, you running backs. you just gave your kicker at all time. You just gave your kicker at all time salary. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he single-handedly kicked a, a 66-yard field goal to beat the, the Lions last year, and he's made a lot of clutch kicks, and I think that's, um, you know, a portion of your game that's often overlooked, but yet they're very valuable um, in an effort to, to score points from areas that, but not, not, you know, he's a weapon. The guy, he's, the guy's a, a 50 yard and, and in, you know, pretty much guarantee, um, you know, and that means a lot, you know, so I think that, um, you know, I think that's, that's a good thing for them. They've drafted a, a new punter. They said goodbye to Sam Cook, who was their punter for 16 years. Um, you know, so there's a lot of new, you know, faces on that squad, I think. Um, they drafted two different tight ends in an effort to find somebody to pair with, with Andrews, who's pretty much all world. I think that they shored up their offensive line. They took a, they took a center and, and signed a couple other guys to, to hopefully add some depth and a veteran leadership on that line. I think that their defense was quite an issue last year, and uh, hopefully they found some solutions to the back end of that by drafting Kyle Hamilton and some of the other players they selected um, or signed. So, I think we're very optimistic here in Baltimore that they're going to rebound from, you know, a less than spectacular ending of the season last year. Roger. Hello, Roger. Yeah, I put you on mute so you wouldn't hear any of the sound. Okay. Uh, You know, uh, I I want to get back to uh, Jackson. Uh, When do you think this is going to be done? Is it going to be this year or not? Well, What's the consensus of uh, the media in Baltimore? The fandom. Mm-hmm. I want. I want facts, Doug. What is well, this going to happen? I, I would ask you because um, because they've tendered him uh, he the fifth year option that they've given to him for twenty three million dollars. I think that incites, if you will, a specific period of window, you know, time frame rather uh, that that they can or can't negotiate with him in an effort to, to gain this extension. Otherwise, I think he signs the deal and then they're kind of locked out of that and then they have to wait until the off season. So I think that there is a specified time frame in which they can have this negotiation. So if that's the case, I, I think their window is, is closing um, perhaps, you know, but like I said, I, I listen to a lot of the one of five, seven, and it's a topic of discussion depending on when I get in and out of the car you know, frequently that they're talking about this. Um, you know, and to me, like I said, I think it sounds like we're moving forward um, in terms of the negotiations. So I don't know. And you have a lot of moving parts there with um, the total amount of money, the total amount of guaranteed money, the total years. You know, and there were discussions that he didn't want this enormous, you know, five or six or ten or however many your contract that a lot of these – you know, people are talking about, um, you know, I think he's looking for something a little shorter term in terms of signing multiple contracts as he continues. I mean, he's only, you know, 20 what years old. So, you know, if he signs a three-year deal, he probably has another two deals left in him after that. Um, so, um, you know, I can't answer you any more than that because like you said, I mean, he, he doesn't have an agent. He represents itself. And I think he's coming off of his rookie four-year deal very happy to make $23 million guaranteed. Um, if nothing happens, they would have to franchise him next year for 
40 what guaranteed, and then the final franchise would be the following year, even more than that, you know, guaranteed. So, yeah, I mean, he's definitely gambling on himself. And as you see um, in Ravens quarterback past, Joe Flacco did the same thing and then became the Super Bowl MVP and then got that huge contract. So, um, you know, minus an injury or something like that, I think the guy's going to get paid. It's just a matter of when and how much. Well, I wonder, with this coming draft uh, in uh, 23 is supposed to be pretty uh, stocked with quarterbacks, as I've read. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering whether they may just make a move so that they can build at other positions and just let them go and start from scratch with a new quarterback. Well, I think that timeline will unfold on its own because um... – if he plays this year under that $23 million and then they come back to the table and they still can't agree, then I think as a, as an ownership management standpoint, you have to think to yourself, you know, is this going to be cost effective for us to kick this can any even further down the road? And I think but that Doug, it's also going to be performance. How does he perform this year? True. Only the 23 million. Right. Well, but exactly. you know, that's going to be There's... the deciding factor. If he does not have a good year, then they're really True. in a situation where they could go, plus or minus of what they want to do. Well, they could either get him cheaper or, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, what do you think? You, you talk about Russell Wilson and what he commanded in a trade um, and, and some of these other things. I mean, what do you think a guy like Lamar Jackson would actually pull in terms of draft picks and or, you know, NFL players? I mean, you know, how many number one picks? I mean, you, you, you've seen multiple people get, you know, multiple first-round picks. For, for players who aren't, you know, MVP caliber players. So, I mean, what is a guy like Lamar Jackson worth in terms of draft picks? Um, we'll see. What I'm, I'm looking at Doug, the uh, Patriots with Mac Jones. Okay. Uh-huh. they uh, What was he, like uh, the 10th, 11th, 12th uh, in he the draft? He was somewhere 10 to 20, somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, I think he had a great uh, and yeah. an excellent rookie season. And I, yeah. and, but he doesn't cost them that much. And that's well, what you, I'm looking at, you know, the way, like that Sean Watson deal ruined everything in football, sure. in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole, that's the whole plan. So, so in Baltimore, that was the discussion that says you draft a guy like Lamar and, and you basically have four years of cheap quarterbacks. If you can't build a winning team and – you know, maximize your output with, with wins and playoffs and Super Bowl opportunities in a four-year window that you have a guy that cheap, what are you going to do after that? Because you, you look at right. every other NFL team, it's a quarterback-driven league. You know, na- name me a quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, uh, Tom Brady, all these guys, they're making north of $30, $40 million a year. Right. I mean, that's roughly 20, 20% of your whole entire salary cap. So That's right. You know, how are you going to build – skilled and deep team around somebody like that when you know you're basically going to be paying rookies and free agents you know the the minimums in an effort to to field a team i mean aaron Rodgers is making what 50 million dollars a year yeah <laughs> and and brady well, not, only, it, not only hurts that, you at that fellas but it also hurts you the fact that you know you may have frontline players but if somebody gets hurt your backup player right aren't going to be anywhere near the, uh, what you need to, to stay competitive. Yeah, yeah and so not everybody's you... like Brady that uh, is willing to uh, give up some salary to uh, make the team stronger in other areas. Yeah. 
Well, listen, I, I mean, following the draft, I think the Philadelphia Eagles made themselves a lot better this offseason in terms oh, yeah. of draft picks. But, you know, if you're an Eagles fan, you're looking at Jalen Hurts and you're thinking, is this the guy? And if the answer right. is yes, you know, he's going to cost you some money in the next couple of years. So you're, you're at an interesting, you know, fork in the road. If you're, if, you know, look at, um, you know, like the, the New York Jets. They drafted a quarterback, what, two years ago, last year, whatever, uh, yeah, right. BYU. Right. I mean, you have – Both the Jets and the you, Giants are in the same position. Yeah. When you draft a quarterback, yeah. you have four years to figure it out. That's it. Well, so. the consensus is that if uh, Hurts doesn't perform this year – they, the Eagles would definitely go for a new quarterback in the draft. I would think so. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. They're putting, they're putting an awful lot of eggs in his basket, Roger. I mean, they really believe. Yeah. They're sold on he's going to be a front-line quarterback in 2022. Oh, I, I agree with that. Or they say that, Don. But, mm-hmm. you know, only time will tell. And as you said, it's all based on performance. And right. now you have surrounded him with the best cadre of receivers that maybe the team has had and and as far as explosives since T.O. Mm-hmm. And look how long yeah. ago that was. Yeah, it's been some time. Would they, they traded for, what, A.J. A. Brown? Uh, yeah. You know, they've got uh, – they still have Rieger. They still have Devonta Smith or whatever his name is. So Yeah, Devonta um, Smith, don't put Rieger in that uh, – a category. He's been a bust. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> well, and the only reason that he's there, still there is he was a first-round pick. And, you know, yeah. management, when they uh, goof on first-round picks, they never, they don't, never. Most of the time, they don't admit their mistake. Right. Miami yeah. just scored a run. I know you can't say it, Roger, but Miami just scored another run. It's now 3-1 to one in the top of the eighth inning with a runner on second base and two outs. So uh, the Phillies' six-game win streak is uh, in a little bit of jeopardy right now. We'll have to wait and see what happens there. In the division, Doug, uh, how, how do you yes. see Baltimore? Do you think they're the – most people are saying they're the best team in the division. Do you, you think so, too? Uh, well, I mean, I think you have to give the nod, at least in preseason, to, to Cincinnati coming off of the Super Bowl. Um you know, I think they're pretty daggone good with, with Burrow and Chase and, and that wide receiver core. And I think they kind of set the bar, if you will, for, for how teams, you know, may draft uh, to, to, you know, defend them. Um, you know, I think Cleveland has, has some question marks. You know, obviously, is is Watson going to play this year? Um, you know, if so, when? You know, I think uh, there's some uncertainty there in Cleveland. And I think, obviously, you're looking at Pittsburgh, who – has always been strong defensively. They've got a, a really good, you know, running back in Najee Harris. Um, a lot of question marks at their quarterback position, drafting a rookie this year and potentially having to start Mitch Trubisky. Um, but Pittsburgh, you know, they typically figure it out. So, I mean, it's it's going to be a black and blue division, as I mentioned. Um, you know, but I think that the – I think the Ravens might be somewhat overlooked in that division. I think, you know, when people talk about, you know, they're going to they're gonna point to the, the – Lamar being hurt and, and not playing some of the final games last year. They're going to point to the fact that we lost our last seven games. They're going to point to the fact that our defense wasn't very good. Um, you know, so I think they'll be overlooked, and I don't think they'll get picked to win the division. But, 
like I said, they're they're going to play a fourth place schedule, and they're they're out of conference games. I think are going to be incredibly important to their success in getting to the playoffs. Uh, so I think they're they're in that perfect storm right now of coming back from injuries and playing a, a less than spectacular schedule. So personally, I think they'll win the division. Roger. He's on mute again. Muted. <laughs> After uh, we talked to Bill Warndell, yeah, I'm trying to trying to help everybody by putting it on mute, yeah. and I forget yeah. about it, so I don't interfere with you guys, you know. And uh, but anyway, like uh, you know, Bill was saying, Don, and I know Doug probably didn't hear this. You're going to have the first three, four games of the year now are like preseason, the old preseason games, because none of the starters pretty much play in those three preseason games. So right. who I I think we'll have a better idea about everything after four games. I really do. Um, you know, I, I actually take the other side of that because I think what's incredibly important to build an NFL roster is to have, you know, key position battles of rookies, getting them familiar with, with the speed of the game as well as um, – you know, some of your backups and, and, and people that may have to play a more predominant role than what you potentially would have expected because of injury. So I think it's very important that the preseason, you know, games, albeit not not having starters, quote-unquote, play, but having people that are going to have the chance to start at some point in play and get them the reps and game speed and all those sorts of things, I think are going to be incredibly important. So, you know, yeah, you're not going to see a Mark Andrews, Lamar Jackson, you know, Rashad Bateman and all these guys that are going to play. But, you know, the Ravens drafted a couple of tight ends. I want to see those guys play to see if they're any good. The Ravens drafted a running back. I want to see if he's any good. I want to see, you know, if they play some of their rookie uh, offensive linemen. I want to see um, maybe some guys that they drafted last year that didn't get a chance to play, uh, whether it's, you know, defensive line or any of those positions, to, to see what we're looking at in, in case something else, you know, goes, goes awry for them. So I think the, I think the preseason is incredibly important for them. Well, I just here, think they're going to change a little bit too much, Roger, that, uh, you know, the teams that are in a transition period, I think they're going to have to play their starters more than you would think. I don't think they can wait till the last exhibition game and say, okay, now we're going to throw these guys in and let them play. I think uh, even the Eagles, who Billy picked to win 11 games, I think even the Eagles, I think they've got to play their regular guys, uh, not just for two or three snaps or two or three series. I think they're going to have to play them a little bit more because otherwise, as you're saying, it's true, they're not going to be ready to play when the season starts. Well, I agree Mm -hmm. with that, but Kelsey's hurt already. I don't know how Mm -hmm. serious it's going to be. But the other thing is, like we talked about with Bill Don, the, uh, the uh, Detroit Lions are going through the old-fashioned training camp. The Eagles right. are doing the new one. No, hardly any hitting. The Eagles have more injuries than than the, the Lions have. <laughs> you know, and and so so much for all this uh, non-contact. Uh, you know, sit there and analyze and look at video and then discuss it. Hey. Let's go back to the way Dick Vermeil and Andy Reid used to have it. And and the other thing is they talk about having these camps at their own training site. Okay, we've got to leave it right there, Roger. Okay, we'll Hold talk on, about Roger. this next week. Frank, Frank tells me we'll pick it up from there next week. Frank, great job behind have the a control. Great week, Roger, thank you. 
All our guests, thank you very much. It's all yours, Frank. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week. And grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, the men and women of police and fire services. When you're out there and you see somebody with a uniform, please, please let them know you know they're there. Not everybody's a bad guy. We all try our hardest and our best. Everybody wants to get home to their family each and every night. These programs are dedicated to those who have lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcat, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Yasmus, Sergeant Thomas Patinger, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childer, San Diego Officer Mike Henry, Sergeant Tom Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Office, <clears throat> Patrolman Charlie Condon, Tarkin Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant Chris Levake, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department, Patrol Deputy uh, Patrolman Ornapo Christen, Lakeland PD, Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police, Patrol Deputy Josh Meyer, National County Sheriff's Department, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Artis Hope, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department, Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol, Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol, Chief Al Hogo, Longwood Key Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10 7 at this point in time, at some time will be 10 10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the rose rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly in your fields and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the palm of his hand. Good night, God bless, and have a great week. And proudly talks his noble fame.